Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of John, the 19th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no crime in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no crime in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard these words, he was the more afraid. He entered the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Upon this Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, and in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. Lord, help us to understand the place the common person has in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the place and the part that the Pharisees played in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the place and the part that the Sadducees played in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're aware of the fact of the place that Judas had in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how often have we really taken a look at the people, the crowd, the masses, the responsibility and the place that they had in making Calvary the place where the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified? Beloved, let it be said that this evil deed could not have taken place without the consent of the people. In fact, the scripture makes it very plain to us, more than one place, 
that they would have done Jesus Christ in long before they did, that is, those who were in places of responsibility and leadership, would have crucified him long before this and been rid of him if they had not been afraid of the people. But when at last they came to the place of where they were able to influence the people and get them involved in the situation, uh, then this vile deed was carried out. The power of the people is unbelievable. One of the hardest things for me to understand, even to this day, though it happened many, many years ago in the Second World War, I remember very well one day in the spring, it was a beautiful day, in that town that had been torn apart by war, and they were showing film of the concentration camps, and the one that they had was on Buchenwald, and there was a sight that, that was unbelievable, that how people could be so inhuman uh, to other people, and they were forcing the civilian population of that town, some 100,000 in population, I suppose, nice sound, sound Prefield was, to see that film. I remember the MP standing at the door after one group of ladies came out that had witnessed that film. They were laughing and talking. I didn't know what they were saying. But it made that MP so mad that he made them go back and see that film again. I could not understand how such a learned group of people and such a fastidious group of people and such an energetic group of people as the German people could have been misled and have done the terrible thing that they did under the leadership of Hitler. I have got to this day to be able to find one person that I ever talked to that accepted any responsibility for that. And I suppose after the effect of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you would ask the average person that you met within the street whether they were responsible for it, and they would point out, have told you, that they had no responsibility for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We within this country ought to be well aware of the fantastic power of the people. Because we have just experienced a few years ago Watergate. They did something within this country that has never been done before to sweep from office. The one uh, man that had received more popular votes than, than any other for president. Not only did it sweep him from his office, but all of those who, by and large, were in leadership with him. The power of the people shook this government to its very foundations and ripped from its mooring those people who thought that they were anchored for the duration, however long that was. This power of the people can either be a force for good or it can be a force for evil. Communism always operates in the name of the people because it has such fantastic appeal and power to it. Not always so, but the things that they do, they do it in the name of the people and let it be understood that the reason why that communism exists or any other form of government upon the face of this earth is simply because the people permit it to be so. That's the way that it really is. Nowhere is there a better illustration of what I'm talking about than when it comes to the time that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. 
Notice how Paulus, he may have been a weakling in some ways, but notice how this man tried best that he might to keep from making judgment and passing judgment in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the will of the people will be met regardless of what our leaders do or don't do when we come to the place where we want to exert our power. It is nothing like it upon the face of this earth. Now the thing that I cannot understand is here before this group of people stood the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the great lover from God sent into this world, the one perfect person that was without flaw or blemish in any way. And they looked upon him and said he was fit only to be crucified. Beloved, it is frightening when you look at the situation. Because the question immediately comes, can it be possible that I can play the part of this crowd of long ago? And the answer immediately comes, of course you can. This is a real possibility. Because we are dressed in the same human flesh as these people of long ago. Somewhere, someplace, beloved, we take our place in the order of things and we take our place in the way that we act and react toward God and toward His kingdom. How could it be that this dastardly thing of long ago took place for the Son of God was literally nailed to a tree without any sedative? Well, I can guess the way it came about and it would be a pretty good guess too. Because in that day as in our day, I am quite sure that they looked upon politics as being something dirty. I don't know why we as Christians should ever take that attitude. But by and large, if people look upon politics as being something dirty, it is not dirty. We should encourage the best that we have, our most faithful, our most dedicated young people to go into politics in order that we might be able to have the leadership uh, that we need and that this country needs. It is one thing that we are asked of more than any other one thing to pray for as a group. And that is to pray for our leaders. But how many of us really ever get around to praying for those who we have placed in places of responsibility over us? They looked upon politics, I'm quite sure, the way that we do today. They did not like being disturbed. Do anything you want to, but leave me alone. Do not bother me. And so apathy takes over. They refuse to accept their responsibility. Refuse to check to see what the real right thing was. Are we responsible for what goes on here? Whether it be either good or bad. Are we responsible for what takes place within our church? Are we committed to justice? What does the Lord require of you but to live humbly, love justice before, before your God? Are you responsible? And if you are, how responsible are you? Are you interested in seeing what the real truth is? Or have you closed your mind? Or is it possible you do not care? I remember... One parsonage that I moved into and I was told by two or three people within the community 
Before I had an opportunity to, to be there too long, in fact, the first day that I moved in, I said, now the man that lives next door to you, he and his wife, said he's mean, he's crooked, he's been a bootlegger, he's done this, he's done that, and he's done the other. And you don't want to have anything to do with him. Well, I think the other preacher before me felt the same way because the walkway between the parsonage and the neighbor next door had grown up. And I remember that the day after we moved in, I decided that uh, I'd try to get some of that stuff cut away. It looked bad anyway. And while I was cutting it away, this neighbor that was supposed to be so mean and so bad came over and asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, neighbor, I'm a stranger in town. And I don't know many people here, but I would like to get to know my neighbor. And I noticed that you have a nice front porch and a nice swing. And when I get lonely, I'd like to come over and sit down and just visit with you a little while. Well, he says, I'll help you. And so we cut the grass and the weeds away. I remember the weeks and days turned into months and months into years. And I remember there was a battle that was brewing within our town, more political than anything else, but it summed up and had something to say in relation to alcohol. Now this big town, some maybe 1,000 of us, on one side of the street you could buy alcohol. But on our side of the street you couldn't. And so someone got the idea that we're going to vote this side of the street wet as the other side of the street. And so we got into a big hassle over there. And somebody so lazy that they didn't want to walk across the street to buy whatever they needed, I suppose. But anyway, we got in the midst of that, and I don't know how, but somehow or another I got right in the midst of that thing too. I thought it was a ridiculous situation to want to vote the whole town for I'll run. But what difference does it make whether one side of the street or the other side? Well, anyhow, I remember this man coming to me. He didn't belong to our church. He was a Catholic, and, and I found him to be a, a very faithful one. He came to me one day and he says, Brother Donnie, he says, I have been told to ask you if you would lead your church just to forget about this situation uh, that I could put within your hand somewhere between fifteen and $30,000. I said, well, neighbor, I said, we can't do that. He says, I understand. I'm not speaking for myself. I told the boys that I would carry the message to you. I said, well, neighbor, I don't know to tell you the God's honest truth. If it came to a vote within the Methodist church alone, whether or not we would vote this side of the street dry or not. He says, Brother Donnie, and this man was 70-some years of age. He says, I understand that, and I know what you're saying. He says, but one thing, he says, I cannot understand about you Methodists and about this Methodist church. Now, he lived as close to the church as a parking lot here. He said, if you were my preacher and I accepted you as my minister, he says, I would follow you to hell. I says, neighbor, I said, there's where we are on the road to hell. And he thought that was the funniest thing he ever heard. But you know, that's the place where the Methodist church ought to be. Trying to rescue those that they can. Trying to redeem those who are on this road. 
trying to do the best that they can with what they got to see. Uh, that the, the road to hell is turned into something other than the road to hell. Make it a place where people can be rescued and brought back into the kingdom of God. But I said that to say this. Never taking time to really to talk to this man, some people had formed an opinion that he was no good. Well, the years have come and gone, and he has met his reward years ago. I have never had a neighbor that was any better neighbor to me and any better friend to me than this man that was supposed to have been so bad. We don't bother to see what the truth really is. Oh, what? What if there had been a man within that group would have said, well, now let's talk to him personally. Let us talk to Christ. Let us see what he's got to say. What a different story it would have been. But there was no one there that day to ask such a question or make such a statement. How much of the responsibility is yours, dear one? How much? Are we passive? Comes to Jesus? Have we just uh, turned a, a dead ear? Oh, I know in that group if you'd ask them, do you want to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to kill all the Jewish people? Oh, no, no, no. But countless hundreds of thousands of them were killed. And Jesus was crucified. J. Stoddard Kennedy wrote a poem some years ago, and I read it as a young preacher. Never forgot it because of the thing that he said, and I'd like to read it to you right now. He said, when Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through his hands and feet and made a cow. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. When Jesus came to Birmingham, they simply passed him by. They never heard a hair of him. They only let him die. For men had grown more tender, and they would not give him pain. They only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. Still Jesus cried, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And still it rained the winter rain that drenched him through and through. The crowds went home and left the street without a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against the wall and cried for Calvary. How much responsibility that falls to you as being one that names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that has life and health at this moment. Where do you see your responsibility? Not only to the crucified Christ. But to the church. The thing that he has commissioned to be in this world. To act for him. And on his behalf. How much responsibility will you accept for it? You know beloved. The God's honest truth of it is. That we are a great church. I don't ever in expect to have and be privileged to be the preacher to a church that's any greater than this church right here. I don't in many ways. 
I've been privileged to be a minister in three other churches. They've all been great churches. And with great potential. But none as great as this one. None. None. How much of the responsibility are you as a member of this church willing to accept? For what happens here or what doesn't happen? In many ways that we have accumulated and amassed a record here that is absolutely fantastic. Some of us, when we talked to the banker a year or so ago about what this church has been able to do financially through the years, and the banker said, I'm looking at the record, but I do not believe it. I don't believe that a group of people systematically through the years has been able to put into an account $600 to $700 per week without missing one single payment over some 10 years. But there's one place where we bomb out in a bad way. I do not understand it. I've tried to. Today, I am no closer to the solution of the problem than it was a few years ago. And that is why is it that we will not accept the responsibility for faithfulness on the Lord's day to be in our place as an instrument in the hand of God. Look around you. Today is no different. I do not understand it. I would like to have an opportunity to accept more faithfully my duty and responsibility as a churchman and as a Christian. And we'll commit ourselves to two or three things. Number one, we're going to commit ourselves that when the official family is in session making decisions for this church, we're all going to be here. Secondly, unless it is something beyond our control that we're going to be in our place on the Sabbath day, looking to Almighty God to help us to do what we need to do in this community. Thirdly, there will not be a day go by but what we won't pray for our preacher in calling by name. Now the deed is done. We have committed ourselves to it. How much of the responsibility will you accept being a churchman in the kingdom of God? How much of the responsibility will you accept for what happens here in this sanctuary, either good or bad? Beloved, I am a Methodist preacher by choice. And I will say to you, let us do what needs to be done in order that we might excel in this spirit also. And I want you to know that I am under command to the bishop. And I am not opposed to the official family of this church talking to the bishop. That's the way we are as Methodists. I am opposed to one or two taking uh, the lifeline of the church in their hand and trying to do it on their own. But you follow the procedure as we have it, as Methodists, what we do, the way that we do it. And I want you to know I am at his command. Whatever that might mean. I am at your command. Whatever that might mean. To come or to go. A great church. Where the great people. Needs a face up. To the responsibility. That they have. I feel something like. Jesus must have felt. When he talked to that wonderful. Capable young man. You have done everything beautiful. You like only one thing. Only one thing. 
Well, my time is up. There were those there that day that did minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for them. Let me mention them to you real quickly as, as we come to a close. One of them was by the name of Simon. The man that was forced to carry the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he was the average person like I would have been if I would have been there, I am quite sure that when the soldiers laid hold of me and snatched me out of the crowd and forced me to carry the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, unless something happened deep within my soul that I would have cursed today. Oh, why did he have to pick me? Why didn't he pick my neighbor? Why did I have to be here? Why did I have to be the one? Oh, dark day it is. I was here at the wrong time at the wrong place. How many of you feel uh, that you're just by chance here? Or how many of you know within the citadel of your heart and your soul that you are here because God has seen fit to bring you here? I don't know whether Simon came to that knowledge or not. But one man, and only one man, in this particular way, had the opportunity to carry the cross of Christ. I wonder if he realized what fantastic privilege was given to him. And I want to tell you something. Doesn't make a difference who you are or where you are or what your age is. Are you really conscious of the fantastic opportunity that you have today in the kingdom of God? Are you? I doubt it. Look at it. Roll it over in your mind. And there was that soldier. Strange. Where compassion will come from. You would expect compassion to come from any place besides some soldier boy. But there that soldier boy standing at the foot of the cross lifted that sponge to the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ to moisten his lips. Strange, is it not? But he too ministered in his passion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were those good ladies. God love them. Crucifixion was a very common thing, and I'm quite sure, under the leadership of the ladies of that community, they had prepared a watery drug that would sort of take the edge off of the suffering of those who were crucified, whether they were guilty or not. The worst criminal in the world, yet the, lovingly they had prepared this drug. Jesus refused it, but it was there, and it was offered. And then... There is that small group, the quiet group. Oh, beloved, we do not hear them raise their voice in any way. But there was his mother. There was John. And there was the Mary, the mother of James the Lesser. Yes, there stood Mary Magdalene that had been rescued from hell as much as any person has ever been upon the face of this earth. We do not hear any word from them, but there they were, the quiet group. Somewhere, someplace, we stand too. The question is, where do you stand? Where do you stand? With what convictions do you stand with? We have it as a people within our power to say what is going to happen and what will happen. And the way that it's going to happen. It's a matter whether or not you will accept the responsibility for the place that God has given to you. Yes, you have it within your power to make this the most power-filled place in this community. 
And that power is something that is creative power, a saving power, a soothing power, a generating power that has a possibility of turning this community upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, help us to accept our responsibility today as we have life. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 